Hello, everybody. Josh Brown here, back for another great episode on Franchise Euphoria. Well, today's episode is brought to you by IndieFranchiseLaw.com, a leading resource in the franchise space to help you if you're considering buying a franchise, turning your business into a franchise, or growing your business through a licensing or franchise structure. So go on, check it out, IndieFranchiseLaw.com. I think you'll find a lot of valuable and free information as you continue to kind of weigh franchising and licensing and the growth of your business. Without further ado, I hope you enjoy today's episode. On today's episode of Franchise Euphoria, I'm thrilled to have owner-operator Mike Bausch, uh, who is the founder with his brother of Andalini's Pizza. He's an industry leader whose restaurant, Andalini's, is a top 10 pizzeria in the U.S. as named by TripAdvisor, BuzzFeed, CNN, and USA Today. Andalini's began in 2005 and has grown to five pizzerias, two gelato places, two food hall concepts, a food truck, and a fine dining restaurant, all by 2019 Mike himself is a world pizza champion, a Guinness Book World Record holder, and a writer for Pizza Today. He also has a book called Unsliced that you can check out at unslicedbook.com. And I got to tell you, I had a great conversation with Mike. What an awesome guy. Very transparent, very straightforward. And the interesting thing is Andalini's is not a franchise, but man, their pizzas look amazing. It's like a craft pizzeria that you can check out at andopizza.com, andopizza.com. But I loved having Mike on because he's grown it corporately, but he hasn't done it through a franchise structure. And I think that's a very valuable lesson to talk about that not everything needs to be franchised, even though this is franchise euphoria, uh, but things can still be grown and grown in a systemized way without going down the franchise route. So anyways, without further ado, I hope you enjoy this interview with Mike. Hello, Mike. Welcome to Franchise Euphoria. How you doing? Very well yourself, sir. Doing awesome, man. I'm so I'm talking to the world pizza champion. Is that right? Yes, I am a member of the world pizza champion team. We compete internationally in pizza making and every member of the team seeks to progress the pizza industry in several different ways. Well, I love pizza. I mean, who who doesn't, right? I mean, there's so many of us. So I can't wait to dive into that. But I also want to say right off the bat that your business, Andalini's, that you started with your brother, uh, I think back in 2005, is not a franchise. But you guys have grown, and you guys have grown through a corporate structure. You know, it's so important. You know, I spend so much time talking with people about growing through franchises. I love that you're on and you specifically did not franchise. So I, I definitely look forward to getting into that and talking about that. But before we do, just, just talk about your history and, and your history with your brother and how you guys got into the pizza business from the get-go. Well, it certainly wasn't a purposeful plan. My brother was vice president of Alamo Rent-A-Car. He's 15 years older than me, and he was getting transferred from Fort Lauderdale to Tulsa at the same time I was graduating college, about to go to law school. Went to my first day of law school at uh, Golden Gate University in San Francisco. I'd grown up in New York, New Jersey, and it also high school and college in San Francisco. And I did not like it. Uh, it just didn't feel like it was going to be my home. I love that you realized that. See, as you know, you're talking to a franchise lawyer. I love that you knew that your first day. <laughs> how did you? How did you go through? I mean, you sat through the LSAT. You you went through all that work. Yeah. I, and then, how did you know the? You had to have 
be feeling something ahead of that. Right? I really didn't. I was well. There was another side to it is that I went to Officer Candidate School of the Marine Corps to be a JAG lawyer and have law school paid for me. So I go through school assuming, okay, I guess that's the the next natural progression. But I am type 1 juvenile diabetic, which I did not know until I got done with officer candidate school. And as I get done with officer candidate school and I go home and I'm thinking, okay, well, I guess the Marine Corps is not going to pay for law school. And I go to the first day of law school and it's in a massive room, a bigger room than I had ever been in for which is a classroom like you'll see in you know big universities because I went to a like a 2000 person college and it was all right you'll do this on this day you'll do this it was the most cold callous (laughs) and I was like am I gonna pay $150,000 to do this to be maybe one of the one percent of California lawyers that pass the bar to then get someone's coffee and, and and to go through to go through law school and be grilled and called out in class and that whole Socratic trust me I lived it man I've been a lawyer now for fifteen years and I I, I hear you I just think I, I think that's great that you realized it and then acted on it because listen I know a ton of people who realized that and didn't act on it and they're freaking miserable now whether it's whether it's law or any profession right. Well, and you just said something, the Socratic method. uh, I talk a lot about Socratic method as a way of handling staff. And also the systems I learned in the Marine Corps are how we were able to have systemization like a franchise without being a franchise to your earlier point. So I, I have this under my belt. I have the pain and lack of sleep awareness of the Marine Corps. And I'm 22. My brother says, hey, you want to take this bonus and open up a family restaurant? I love pizza. Everyone loves pizza. It doesn't make you special enough to own or start a pizza restaurant, nor does being 22 with a medium level of awareness of the industry. Cause I worked restaurants to pay for college. I worked, obviously I went to OCS and then I handled and went to YMCA day camp as a camp counselor and I had done that for a bunch of years. And I didn't think that this would be the best preparation I could imagine for the restaurant industry, because I, I had seen fine dining, albeit a little bit. I had corralled, you know, nine-year-old kids, which is a lot like handling high school kids. And I had gone through college uh, to know how to question things and, and evaluate them. And also the Marine Corps to just be able to deal with a total lack of sleep. And that primed me decently to have no experience and to build a restaurant company at 22. So your brother talked you into it. He didn't really talk to me. He's like, you just want to do this? And I said, yeah, let's, I want to go. Let's go. And I drove, I flew out to Tulsa, checked it out for a week. I saw, which a lot of people don't know how very cool Tulsa is. And at the time it was on the precipice of completely redefining itself and go out to Tulsa. I see a line of people at a Chili's in a suburb. Side note, so many businesses had been thrust into Tulsa in 2004, Honeywell, Alamo Rent-A-Car, Verizon, Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Just a good corporate environment? Well, they made some insane tax concessions in 2004 that just thrust them into the limelight for business. And all these people from Florida, St. Louis, New York were moving there. So I thought it's prime. What is every demo like? Pizza, let's just do it. And it sucked. We sucked at first. And then we learned how to not suck because I didn't have an ego about it to admit that I sucked to keep progressing to one day not suck. Well, I love that. I I love that description. Let's talk about, because I think it's helpful for people. Let's talk about the times when you sucked. Okay. So how did you kick this thing off? I mean, how did you guys, you you decide you're going to do pizza. You're going to, you're moving to a new place. Neither one of you have been there. 
How did you get going with it? In the summer, my, my brother's there by July. I'm there by August, September. And it was, okay, well, what, what are we going to do? And just hashing out a name and then finding a location, which was an ice cream restaurant. And they didn't want to pay the rent anymore. Real simple. Okay, how much you want for this place? And all of it done in a real Sandlot football sort of way that I would never condone or do myself now. The logo designed by us using clip art, just real crappy. And then how do you get a health department license? Well, just me driving into the city of Tulsa and saying, how do I do this? And listening to one person tell me (laughs) the internet barely was a resource in 2004 to figure this out. All of it just done very piecemeal and then enough to open, you know, have a, a license to open a business. Even the liquor license was a complete crapshoot because I thought that we had the right liquor license and we didn't. I had a beer and wine license, which in Oklahoma at the time did not mean you could sell Bud or Miller or Coors. That was a separate low point beer license. And like I said, <laughs> I'm not driving to Oklahoma City again. We're only selling high end beer and wine. And that was the first accidental thing that started to define the brand that we would be high end and really curated and not compromise. That's such a great point because ahead of this interview, I went onto your website, the Andalini, I think it's Andalini's.com, right? Andopizza.com. Andopizza.com. Okay. I go on there. I'm like, wow, this is, this looks good. This looks high end. This looks really good. And, you know, for, from two guys who, who really had no background and got thrust into, I was curious how you got into that sort of customized higher end pizza market. So it, it sounded like it was sort of an accident. Yes and no. I mean, the work and just doing it and ending up here, that's kind of telling God a joke is telling him your plans. But the roundabout, you know, I'll hire people that are highly driven with very little awareness or skill. But if they're highly driven, all that's great. Experience and talent are the two most overrated qualities of business. Drive and dependability, I'll take any day over talent and experience. Because you can train that, right? Yeah. And dependability, too. Again, will you show up? Will you send an email? Will you do what you say you will do? We'll go a lot further than someone who's, I've worked 20 restaurants. I'm like, well, why? What happened? What went <laughs> wrong? You should work four restaurants if you're a career restaurant person. But you guys are kicking this thing off, and I imagine to start it, you and your brother slinging pizzas, or did one of you have more of a focus on the business side and the other had more on sort of the side of you know setting up the business, growing the business, or at least getting awareness of the business, and then somebody else actually in the restaurant running it's, it? It's or much how- less than – I mean, my brother definitely took part, but at the same time, he was working a full-time job as the vice president of Alamo Rent-A-Car. This yeah. was, hey, here's the bonus. Figure it out. You're 22. You're not a dumbass. Figure it out. <laughs> and I was like, okay, great. I'll figure it out. And then he would come and work with us on the weekends. And at first it was like what a lot of small business first shots turn into is a clubhouse. And I was very keenly aware to not let it maintain that, you know, demo of, of feeling like, oh, this is where we hang out. And, you know, he's inviting friends and stuff and people are drinking at night and all the stuff that I wouldn't have it be now. You know, I wanted to develop a professional restaurant concept was that your military background you think or like what led to that i mean because at that age and i mean was that your military training was that the idea like you said earlier that you were really it was really ingrained in you that you know professionalism and responsibility and systemization and all that 
part of it's the OCD nature that my mom instilled in me. Being able to take it and run with it and have skill set behind it is the Marine Corps. But my brother's a Marine too. My father is a lieutenant colonel in the Marines. My nephew did two tours. So it's we're all having that part of us. But the push and drive is definitely deeply ingrained in both me and my brother. He he became, again, vice president of a Fortune 500 company. Here I am. I could have been a lawyer. And I'm like, well, let me take all that ingenuity and drive and apply it to this. And I drive halfway across America in a car with everything that I own to suck at making pizza in Owasso, Oklahoma. I just didn't. I was like, this is going to work. And, you know, I had that moment when my dad moved out with my mom at the time and my dad, when we weren't doing so great, he says, you know what, what's the plan if this doesn't work, honey? And I said, dad, there's no plan B because if we have plan B, this is going to fail. It's either it's get on board or figure it the hell out. That's what the plan is. That's great. I mean, that for a lot of people, that's what you need, right? Because if you have that second alternative, it becomes sort of an excuse. It becomes an escape. Oh, you, you really don't know how hard to push yourself if you have a landing pad, right? And I, I don't think that's unique to me, that, that drive. I think what is unique to our story is I started off doing the paramount error of a new restaurant or pizzeria, which is trying to be like other pizzerias. And when I did something that was different, such as only selling high-end beer, and that got us a little bit of notoriety, our first restaurant had you know photos on the wall of Venice and places where at the time I hadn't visited. Just, okay, it's Italian restaurant. That's what we do. <laughs> it's when I stopped doing that and played music that I liked and made the vibe of the place unique and special and me and my brother and our sensibility is what things started to really click. But we didn't even do our second store till six years later. So we just got every screw up that we could out of the way, learned what it is to screw up, and then the benefit of a screw up, which is the lesson after it. And that's how we developed. But aren't you glad that was the case? I mean, when I'm dealing or talking with people who are looking to franchise and all that, I spend so much time with many people saying, Hey, you're just too early. You know, yes, you've run this business for two years and you know, you're on the precipice of a second location or, you know, a third location, but just keep it going. Just work out those kinks because it's going to make you better in the long run. I mean, to, to me in franchising or, or in growth at all, people are in such a rush to grow and what they don't realize until after they go through it, if they do make that mistake and it doesn't work is that all they're doing is taking their inefficiencies and their problems, and they're multiplying it by whatever number of locations they go into. So you guys taking six years, I mean, turned out would be my guess to be a godsend for you, right? I mean, you know, so when you opened up your second location, what was that like after six years of being in the first one? It was like shooting fish in a barrel, but we also couldn't get another, we couldn't get a bank to give us a loan. The first restaurant was off a bonus. We couldn't give a a bank where we had all of our books tight, everything clean. We did everything they asked. And then it would go to what's called committee where they would decide whether or not they give you money. And each bank we were working with would say no. And then we found a bank that we gave our story to. Again, I'm at this point, I'm competing internationally making pizza. I'm genuinely not sucking anymore. And they're still like, well, I mean, you're in a Wasso restaurant, which is a suburb of Tulsa. And we were going into Tulsa proper and no one would believe it at that point. And also, to that point about franchisees that just want to keep growing or people that want to buy into a franchise, I was open when 
the one of the first restaurants to open of the big surge to this suburb, where then 40 restaurants opened between 2006 and 2008, of which almost all of them were franchises, of which 38 closed. You had Fuddruckers, boom, up and close. You had Steak and Shake, up and close. And they were showing in abundant detail that this was a really hard market, that I didn't know I was in such a hard market. And a textbook approach to, well, open it and people will come, would not survive. You had to be all things blue collar, all things white collar, simultaneously with a great value and kill it in this suburb of Owasso, Oklahoma. So while I was getting my ass handed to me, I didn't know I was going through this new restaurant level boot camp that equipped me that when I went to the Times Square of Tulsa per se in the heart of it, it would be significantly easier. Well see, and that is such a unique story. And you know, because most of the time you hear people say the hardest thing was to go from one to two restaurants, but that's because they did it too fast or they didn't they didn't take the time to plan for the second location. Um you know, you mentioned the banks. I always joke about banks. I, I have great banker friends, and obviously, with in, in, in my industry and 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 in yours as well, banks are necessary. But I always joke that, you know, banks banks mottos should be, you know, we're here when you need us the least. Because yeah. the reality is, when when you when you have tons of collateral, when you have tons of cash in the bank, when you have all that, they're there ready to loan you all sorts of money. <laughs> but when, but when you like yourself, you know, you're like, man, I've been busting my ass, and and. I've got the successful location. You guys won't help me out to expand? Absolutely not. How did you end up doing it? I mean, how, ultimately, did you convince a bank? Did you just have to go knock on a lot of doors? We found a, a bank that was owned by a family in Tulsa that only had one location. And when they saw what we were doing, again, they are on. it's very rare to see a bank that's an indie bank, per se. And this bank called Security Bank, the lender, his name was Gil, and he, he went and saw my story, I'm getting press off the competing in Italy. And he just said, I think you guys have it. Now, with that said, we got uh, SBA loans that we had to put our houses up to back. We had to collateralize it up the wazoo, but we still got just enough money to open up the store too. And we it looks like a $2 million build out, but we did it for around $550,000 because we built it ourselves. We laid the brick ourselves and did every skosh of that thing on our own. We even tried to do the HVAC until they're like, you're not legally allowed to do that. And we said, can someone <laughs> just watch us do it at a discount? Cause we have no money. So we had mentioned earlier in the interview, you know, you didn't franchise and I know you thought about it. Talk about how you went through the process of thinking about franchising and then ultimately deciding that you were not going to do it. And now, you know, at this point, what you've got, what, five locations and then a couple gelato places, uh, some food hall concepts and a food truck. And I think a whole nother fine dining uh, restaurant as well. But talk principally about that whole thought, if you gave it thought to, to, to franchising and then deciding not to do it. There's a, and I definitely have thought it. There's a few things that scare me about a franchise. One is if you don't have the system just set up to be damn near stupid proof, you could get sued. And what we do isn't stupid proof to that extent. The staff that we have, I consider to be captains of the football team. And with a franchise, you need to be able to give someone the ball and expect them to be captain of the football team on their first day of freshman year. That's what scares me about it. Additionally, we have a good thing going in Tulsa, but if I open something in another city, we're the 
oh, what's that restaurant? Oh, it's some crap from Colorado. I don't know. It doesn't have a pull to the city. We have a lot of good things going for us currently. Now, with that said, there's a few things that we could do that we could franchise, but an Andalini's is such a hands-on, tight approach to the industry that to just up and do it as a franchise seems cavalier. I think we could entertain making a more approachable pizza concept, but an Andalini's is just a multi-level... Talk about it. What do you mean by that? A more approachable? Well, Andalini's is a full service restaurant where we are really paying a close attention detail to the fermentation and all parts of the dough. We're making everything from scratch. There's nothing that's half-assed in the restaurant. So if one little thing is out of whack, it's all out of whack. And whenever there's a problem, I could still be the person to correct it on a direct connect me to the consumer. And with all that said, because we buy such high-end stuff and the price perception of our product is a little bit out of whack. It doesn't lend itself to the percentage payment to still make profit. It really is a weird dynamic. We sell a 20 inch pizza. This is really deep in the weeds, but a 20 inch pizza Joe Blow thinks is equal to two 10 inch pizzas. It's not, it's equal to four 10 inch pizzas. So if I sell explain that, that. I, don't, I don't, wait, 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 hold on. <laughs> explain that to me. Cause I, I, I believe you, but I don't understand it. Tell me how that's equal to four. Well, surface area, pi r squared. What's the radius of 10 inches? <laughs> got it's it, got five. it, got it, got it. Okay. Five got times it. five is 25. What's the radius of a 20-inch? 10. 10 times 10 is 100. 100 divided by go. 25. So if you look at a 10-inch pizza, if you go one, two, three, four, that's a 20-inch pizza. So when other people are charging 10 bucks for a 10-inch pizza, you're like, hey, that's about right. By that logic, my cheese pizza should be 40 bucks. So the food cost proposition is hard, but I'm dinged when I sell a 28 fully loaded pizza, $28 for a fully loaded pizza as being expensive. And I'm the cheapest per square inch pizza in Oklahoma. With these metrics, it's very hard to, you have to really make your but money. But you're doing well with these number of locations, right? I mean, we the, still make the, money. Of course we're making money and, and it's a profitable entity, but yeah. it's, to then give it to someone else to try and have them market it when I'm the face. Another thing is I've done the Dave Thomas approach of being the face of the brand. I think I could still do that. Don't get me wrong. I believe we could franchise. I just don't want to bastardize my brand and put it in the hands of someone that I don't believe is equipped to handle how multifaceted it is. If I made a dumbed down version of a pizza restaurant where it was just pizza and wings, call it a day, the size of a Jimmy John's, and go, yeah, I think I could franchise it. No, but I think that that's so important and vital. And that's why I love that you're on this show talking about it because people have to be thinking about these things before they just decide to go franchise their business. And what you're really saying is, I mean, you know, the level of detail, you know, it's hard for you to imagine, as you said, with the captain analogy, you know, taking somebody who was in a corporate role, let's say for, you know, 20 something years and now comes in and buys it, no, has no experience in the pizza industry. It's going to be very hard for that person to really kind of do the things that you do that help make your location successful. And to me, it's not about having to franchise or not franchise. It's it's about going through the process and making the right decision for you. And I, so I think that's very astute that you did that because not every type of concept number one is franchisable or should be oh, franchisable totally. you know i because I, a lot of times too it just comes i've talked to other you know people as well people i work with people will call and say hey i want to grow but i don't want to grow like a franchise and i said well that's fine but you can still implement franchise like structures you know you can still do things to make yourself 
more efficient. You can still try to systematize, which I, I know that's that's what you do with your military background and, and what you had spoken of. So you can do all those things, which are very franchise-like, but you don't have to actually be a franchise. I very totally agree, 100%. And I was doing all these very unique systemizations that I had never seen done before by an independent pizzeria. And that's why I decided to write a book about it. And it's not the book is the book is not the, Hey, look at me. Here's my story. I, Cause I hate books like that. It's here's how to systemize anything. And the first two chapters are also, Hey, do you need this thing? Do you need to own a restaurant? Because don't just walk in to my world. Like, like you know, I wouldn't walk into a law office and say, I've seen a lot of law and order. So yeah, I'm good to go. Next case, please. <laughs> but a lot of people do that with the restaurant industry. You're like, well, I've eaten at five. I've been to a Michelin star rated restaurant. I'm like, great. So that tells me, you know how to eat food well, or I'm great at cooking steak. I'm like, great, cook steak often because great, amazing, impeccable food is just the ticket in the door to this industry. Everything else is so much more work and effort just being a life coach to a bunch of teenagers and 20-year-olds and 40-year-olds also having the wherewithal to handle the repair and maintenance and then the marketing that if you want a turnkey system, I'm amazed people will buy a franchise that as the second store. I'm I'm fascinated by that when it's like we have one we're going to do a franchise as our second store. I'm like, you haven't even figured out how to do two stores yet and you're selling it? That is crazy to me when I see that happen. Because people are buying into the dream. And and it's not, and I'm not saying that that's, a, that's not a good reason, but that's why, right? I mean, that's people, people buy into this idea that, and even, even when people know, and you know, I'll tell them, hey, they haven't been around long. They only got one location. They don't really don't have their system. Yeah, but I love the concept. Of, and if I get in early, I'll be really in there. And I'm like, well, maybe. But also, you could be buying into something that's total crap. I mean, you know, that's the reality of it. Um, but Mike, you know, it's funny. Like yours, you know, so many people will will read the franchise disclosure document, which is you know 300 pages, and they'll come to me and say, "Well, I've read it. I think I understand it all." And I go, "Well, okay. Well, then." Why are you talking to me? I mean, if you understand it all and 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 know what it all says and all the legal implications, then why are you calling me? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like people have these weird ways of of working with other people who are there to help them. But have you done any pizza franchises? Uh, yeah, I've been involved. I've been doing this for fifteen years. So because pizza oh, yeah. is a lot different. I think people don't get that either. It's like making dough and fermenting it. Well, tell me about that. Like, how's it? You're talking about the way in which you make dough. You have an ingredient structure. You have a process and probably some proprietary methods for what you do, right? I do, and I believe in them. The thing about dough is it's such – a burger place is so much different than a pizza place. A burger is a finite singular item. A pizza, multiple sizes, multiple toppings, half or this. So your food cost is already completely out of whack. You're not you're not shooting a, a single target. You're shooting a moving target. Additionally, dough is living. A bun is not living, but dough is living. So like if it sits too long without being kneaded or whatever it is, right, it can affect the taste. 
completely if it's too young, if it's too old, if it's been left out too long, if it's different sizes. So if this guy made the dough and added it or did it a little bit different. So I see typically a franchise wants to have frozen dough or a singular. If it's a commissary, it's a lot smarter. But if you have each location making dough, it is so incredibly difficult for someone who's not very finite and very systemized to keep consistency of product. And that's why you'll rarely see pizza franchises that aren't using a frozen product because they can't create consistency otherwise. You must have a really developed like palette, like taste palette. I mean, you're, we got to talk about before we finish, you're the world pizza championship, Guinness book world record holder, and also a writer for pizza today. And then also I want to talk more about your book for a few minutes before we go, but do you go and, and if you try other pizza, you can kind of know if it's fresh or from a frozen dough. I mean, can you taste it? Cause most people can't. I think well, I can, but at the same time, if you play to the masses, you die, especially in the culinary world. You got to play to the people with a palate because they're the ones who speak the loudest. And if you impress them that they're telling their friends and they're saying, oh, it was so great. It was just like Italy. Oh, it was. Oh, it was just like New York, whatever they say that you need to impress them. It's when people start saying barely anyone will notice if we deep fry these frozen raviolis that then you just become cookie cutter. <laughs> And you're just yeah. another, and I say, you're a, you're another restaurant selling a McNugget, and there's another restaurant down the street selling a McNugget, and you're both under the assumption that you're not McDonald's. Yeah, and th there's no differentiation. I mean, you've got a differentiation. You've got a story. You've got a difference in how you do it. How do you keep track of that? I mean, the, the different uh, cost changes and the distributors and so forth that you're working with. I mean, do you have just one or two, or do you work with multiple distributors in terms of for the quality and the and the pricing and all that? On what we purchase, we are very lucky that we're in a great relationship with uh, Roma out of Springfield, Missouri, which is a subsidiary a performance food group who has been a partner with us, really a dedicated partner for 15 years and really close partner for the last 10. That's great. The ability to manage food cost and all the non-sexy things that people don't want to think about when they enter into this business, we've gotten better at over time. A lot of it at first was, let's go off numbers we know, which is purely what went into the bank and what left the bank. And over time, you start to be able to get a lot tighter on it. But pizza, again, super hard to track cheese and multiple sizes and all that. Uh, same thing with labor. You know, labor was harder to track. We knew, again, what our labor percentage was, but with technology, which is so great, the technology and staying at, at the forefront of technology, now with POSs that integrate with schedulers and knowing on an hourly basis, if you're matching what you should be projecting is the secret sauce of a profitable restaurant. Isn't that amazing? That's been a game changer, right? I mean, the different, the POS systems now are amazing for restaurants. It's like going from a Nextel brick phone, which everyone loved Nextel phones in 2005. It's like, I'm an adult in business. I have a Nextel. But then the iPhone came out and I'm like, well, goodbye, Nextel. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> and that's what's happened with POS systems. All right. So you're a world pizza champion. Talk about that. What What did you, what did you win in terms of your world pizza championship? Like what was a particular kind of pizza that you made or how does that whole system work? It's an invite-only club to begin with, just to differentiate. Now, the World Pizza Champions team is a group of people that, again, it's a collective of people who have won different things. I had won Tulsa's Restaurant Tour of the Year. I had won Best Pizza in Oklahoma and things of that nature. Then on a competition level, when I went to Italy my first time out and scored higher than any first-year American and scored out of 500, I came in 30th in my first time competing in Italy. and then. That was enough cachet that I, we moved forward and did other things. And um, 
TripAdvisor named Andalini's as one of the top 10 pizzerias in America. So these are some of the accolades. We will bring people on our team if they have an accolade to their name, but there's different definable ones. As a championship, I had won silver in the Midwest region in Vegas in like 2010. And again, I've just done a lot of different competitions with varying levels. In London last year, I came in seventh in the world in a pizza competition. I mean, did you just sort of train yourself on this or, or did you, I mean, how did There's you? There's a guy in California named Tony Gimignani who has been a mentor to me and he developed, he's the the uh, president of the World Pizza Champions. And now, uh, you know, 10 years after being on this team, I'm the vice president with him and we have 40 people on this team that we do a lot of charitable work. So we do, we help these competitions. We just do a lot for the industry. Now, with that said, the World Pizza Champions was first started by five guys who had won major championships. And then they started to branch out to invite people on some authors, some consultants, and then everyone though, who had a major accolade to their name. Mine is being one of the top rated pizzerias in America is my main accolade at this point. But when I came on, it was being one of the highest scorers in Salsa Maggiore, Italy in my first year. And you also are a Guinness Book World Record holder for for what? Uh, Tony and me, again, we just do, we just try and find the coolest stuff we can think to do with pizza. Naples had made the longest pizza in the world in 2016. And then some Italians who lived in America that were tired of getting mocked decided to get with us and make a longer pizza. So we made a 1.4 mile long pizza in LA. (laughs) in 2017 just to take that prize back and they haven't tried to take it back since we did that and it was really fun it was crazy to see how the guinness competitions worked and i'm looking to do more of them because there's it's a fun little add-on thing to do it's a lot of effort it's a lot of ingenuity and i find that these things beyond just their marketability which it definitely has it always takes you to another level of pushing what you can do doing these competitions having no kitchen no support having a hotel room, a bag of flour and a bowl and having to make dough work for a competition in front of some of the best pizza makers in the world really does take your game up. And I'll see different things that I never thought to do. And it makes me come back home and have better, newer ideas of what to mess with. So your book, uh, is it called Unsliced? Yes. So, and and it can be purchased at unslicedbook.com. So you alluded to it earlier, but just touching back to it, you wrote this book to author something on how to grow a business, even if it's not a pizza business? Or what was the what, what's the idea behind Unsliced? I started writing for Pizza Today, and then I was doing presentations at Pizza Expo, and I started with 15 people in a room, to, and it grew to around 400 watching me because I was just coming up with different things that hadn't been said before. Like, hey, here's really how to get a staff member to want to work for you for an extended period of time, or here's how you should design your menu. Just all the stuff that through trial and error because I'll just keep going. I don't mind screwing up. I'll, I embrace the screw up and just keep revising and working. And I was just like, here's what took me six years to figure out. There you go right there. And I would have a lot of people emailing me and asking me, how did you do this? Or what's this? Or what's this? Or what's this? The systems that I created. Because again, as an independent, there is no playbook. There is no, hey, here's the system. Here's how you do it. There just isn't. So I take the ones that I've created and I put them on display. And I also say, you have some wackadoo idea. Great. Here's how you evaluate if it's going to last and then go back to the drawing board and fix it and fix it again. And here's exactly how you evaluate that for the independent, even for the franchisee and even for just Joe Blow on the street that's owning a business, how to get teenagers to want to work or how to get marketing to land all these things that are in there, I think resonate beyond pizza because pizza is so cutthroat. And then tell me how you've dealt with COVID, 
I mean, obviously, we're still in the midst of COVID. You know, right now we're in December 2020 and uh, seeing a light at the end of the tunnel. But what's been that impact on your businesses? And then how have you reacted to it? From a social perspective and people dying, it's abominable and horrible and obviously just a tragedy. From a business perspective, there's a lot of things that are a godsend. And it's maybe that's just the optimist to me. But it gave us a chance to pause, which we would never do normally. You know, obviously sales are down, but we pivoted quickly to a full curbside model in the first two months, showed us the pros and cons of that model, fixed our phone system, changed out all of our POS systems, revised our website, all that kind of stuff, finished the book for that matter. And then the opening week of COVID, where it was just no one's coming in, no catering, no one wants to buy anything. What are we going to do? And I go day by day, how we figured it out in that week to actually make payroll and have everything land by Sunday and day by day what that was like, because I think it's a very unique thing. And the people that are suffering that didn't change anything, I feel bad, but I'm also, there's, there's opportunity abound. Now the people that did change and then they had the laws change on them over and over, or if they were such a new restaurant that they didn't have years of tax returns to rely on to then submit to get PPP loans, My heart goes out to them, but by not being a dirty pirate restaurant, having years of tax returns that were clean, we were able to get funded. And then when you take that funding, it's like, okay, this is an opportunity. Everything in this industry is just an opportunity. Even when it's a punch in the face, it's an opportunity to learn what a punch in the face feels like and to move forward from it. And I think that's what we did well. Well, thanks so much, Mike, for coming on. Really enjoyed speaking with you. Uh, If anybody wants to to get the book or check out the book, you can go to unslicedbook.com. You can find Mike if you search for pizza today. He's written tons of articles there. Uh, and then you can learn about Andalini's, uh, which which looks absolutely fantastic based on the website. Just go to andopizza.com, andopizza.com. Thanks, Mike. I really appreciate it. And thank you and your whole family for your service to this country and for all your, your efforts and your entrepreneurial successes. And I wish you nothing but the best of luck in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Thank you so much for tuning in for another episode of Franchise Euphoria. If you enjoyed this episode or have enjoyed the podcast in general, I would really appreciate it if you could go to iTunes and leave me a rating and review. It really helps to get this podcast out to more and more people. So the easy way to do it is go to iTunes and in the search box, put in Franchise Euphoria. You will then see my cover art and you click on my smiling face that says Franchise Euphoria and then click on the link that says ratings and reviews. It's that simple, but boy, oh boy, does it mean the world to me when people leave ratings and reviews. And like I said, it really helps get the show out there. Once again, would love it if you would go to iTunes and leave a rating and review if you enjoyed this episode or other episodes of the show. And until the next time, happy franchising.